Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. Hey traders, on today's episode, I wanted to showcase some of the best interviews that I've had in the first 375 episodes of the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. I know that these have had a real impact on my life and I hope that they can do the same for you. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Ewell. Hey, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter every single week. To make it as like simple as possible, Steve has the uh, the SPY 200-day simple moving average end of month price crossover. Okay, so here it is, right? The, the market, 200-day end of the month, okay? That's it. That's the only three things you need to know. This one, the average days in the trade was 562 days. <laughs> That's that giant bull market he's talking about. And the return was 400, 437%, which is like more than double uh, the comparison results over that time period. And that's literally looking at it one day a month. If it is uh, above or is under the uh, the those uh, 200 simple moving average. It doesn't get easier than that, people. The, f the first time I, I was on CNBC was about like 2006, maybe, or 2007. A friend of mine, uh, Herb Greenberg, who used to, he used to be on CNBC all the time. I don't know what he's doing now. I got to call him and find out. And he, <laughs> um, I had said like, hey, you know, I was kind of stupid at the time. I thought, you know, I could be on CNBC. I had no idea what that meant. And uh, so anyway, he was able to kind of get me hooked up with some producer. And he said um, he he called this lady up. I forget her name. And he said, hey, a good friend of mine, Dan Fitzpatrick, you got to have him on on CNBC. He's great on television. And. So he called me back and actually, I think she called me first and said, like, it was five minutes after I talked to him and they booked me on the show going like, what the wow. hell? Yeah. And and then he said, uh, so then Herb calls me back and he goes, you've never been on TV before, have you? And I'm thinking, <laughs> Well, I did sing with John Fogarty one time. <laughs> so I said, nah, not really. And he said, okay, here's the deal. Have an opinion. He goes, have an opinion. It doesn't matter if it turns out to be right or wrong, but don't go on there and say, I don't know. Have an opinion because that's what's important. And mm -hmm. so I did. Well, okay, fine. Enough war stories. Um. <laughs> And I was on with uh, Peter Schiff, who anybody who knows Peter Schiff, he's the most bearish guy around. You know, mm -hmm. he's, uh, he thinks 12 years is too long for this earth to survive. Um, <laughs> I love Peter. He's a great guy. But anyway, the bottom line is, though, that was way back when after all this time. 
I could go on C- CNBC if, you know, when whenever I want, for the most part, I know enough people to where I say, hey, I got something to say uh, and I'll go on. But for the most part, Chris, like I don't know, like mm-hmm. I don't have an opinion. Yeah, I don't because I've been doing this long enough to know what's not knowable. And that's why sometimes with financial television or with things that people write the way they write, I'm going like. Dude, I've been doing this since 1996. There's no possible way that you can know what you're telling these poor people know any better what you know. Like you don't know that. And and it dry as you can see like it <laughs> it drives me crazy because we have an obligation I assume that somebody who's listening to me, whether it's here or uh, on Stocker Option Market Mentor, I assume that they don't know as much as I do, you know, and so I take my responsibility seriously. Now, the cool thing is when you're actually listening to somebody else, you you actually want to make the opposite assumption and say, I don't know who I'm talking to, but let me see if I can learn something from this guy, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the way you get better in life. But I look at things now so much differently than I did three, four, five years ago. For me now, it's risk management. It's like, okay, I don't know which way the stock's going to go, but I do know charts and I know how charts work. I know that um, I call it a power cycle. I've started, this is the way I look at charts. There's four groups of, um, there's four groups of market participants. There's buyers. Boom. You bought. You you were in that group for a split second. Now you're a potential seller. That's it. So you just went from the ultimate bull. Boom. I'm in to now at some point a bear. You've Mm -hmm. gone from support to resistance. You just don't know when. And then there's so those are potential sellers. And then there's sellers. Those happen just in an instant. And then there are what? potential buyers. buyers. So it's like you're exchanging stock for cash or cash for stock. And that's instantaneous. The rest of the time you are potential energy, you're built up energy. And so when I look at when I look at charts in that way, then it makes sense to me because I see like, okay, the longer a chart is stretched out, like if you look, I don't know if this is interesting to you or not, but it is to me. It's fact. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really longer. The longer a chart is stretched out six months ago or six months ago, a year ago or something like do you really and this charts, the stock's just gone down. Do you really think that anybody bought who bought six months ago? Is still going to be holding that stock. And they're going to sell it when it gets back to their buying point. No, they've had six months to correct that mistake. Right. They're done. They're out. Doesn't even matter. Whereas you're trading a stock on Monday and you buy like right at the high and then the stock pulls back a few days and then it starts to come and you're going like crap. You know, I know I shouldn't have bought that stock. Dan told me not to be doing that, but I did it anyway because I got the can't help it, and I just had to do it. So then the stock goes down and you're feeling like an idiot. And then the stock comes up on Thursday or maybe even Friday to your buy point. What are you going to do? You're going to correct that mistake and you're going to say, 
I think I'll just undo this. It hasn't cost me any money. Sell. Your resistance. Six if you bought six months ago, you're not resistance. If you bought yesterday or the day before, you're resistance. If you were thinking about buying yesterday, but you didn't, and then the stock pulls back and you get an opportunity to buy at the same price, you're going to do it. Your support. If you were thinking about buying a stock six months, six months ago and you didn't and it pulls back to there now, you're not support because you've moved on down the road. You're not even thinking about that stock anymore. So mm -hmm. those are just the kind of ways that I look at charts and it maybe it sounds a little convoluted, but to me it makes a heck of a lot more sense than just looking at these lines and boxes, wiggles and all that. So how do you tell if, if, if the moving averages are crossing? Um, one example would be XRT, if, if the uh, audience wants to go look that up. XRT right now has uh, the, the 10 and the 50 and the 20. It, it's weird. They're all like in a straight line on top of each other. And they're kind of like playing back and forth on either side of, uh, of the moving averages. So nothing, no trend has really been, been shown from that. But how do you... How do you decide when it is going to start a trend versus uh, just chopping back and forth? Well, you can use it either discretionarily. You can see, you know, did the crossover happen, you know, uh, at a good lower RSI? Like, is the market not overbought? Did the crossover happen in a more better risk or ratio if it happens when you're oversold and not too overbought? And uh, also, you can do mechanical. You just take all the crossovers, and uh, eventually you have the big winner. And you manage the trade. If it keeps going higher, you hold it. If it pulls back under one of the key moving average, you can exit. So really, you can enter all of the all the signals mm. and then manage each trade reacting to what is happening to maximize the win. Okay. The really whole point, like the GLD, if you look back at the GLD, you had a bunch of small losses with the five-day, 20-day crossovers where they didn't work out. So you had like a small loss, a small loss, and then all of a sudden you had an explosive uh, trend if you use them mechanically. So that's the thing. You can use these signals as a mechanical. You're just going to take the trade regardless and see what happens and manage the manage to maximize and wins and minimize losses. Or you can use discretionary you know, filters like – and I do use a 70 RSI or the um, – you know, or, you know, how is there a range before the cross? If there's a range before the cross, it can increase your odds of a trend. Now, there are ways to uh, filter for more dynamics in your systems. The moving average book really wanted to give you just the framework to see, you know, mm. quantified data for how trends can be uh, captured. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And to Steve's point, using these systems, man, this is one of the, the most fascinating points that I took away. The, the win rate could be low. In fact, I was mm -hmm. just scrolling through here, looking through these. I only saw one or two or three that actually had a win rate greater than 50%. Uh, but what Steve is saying is that if you use this approach, getting in and getting out with the crossovers and everything, it may cross over and then it may cross back the other way. And then that's your exit signal. And then it may cross up again and, and you get long and then cross back the other way. Uh, and then maybe on the third or fifth or 12th time, uh, it crosses over and then it takes off. And you've got to have your portfolio prepared and ready for that. So you may have six or eight losses in a row of this strategy before the ninth one potentially uh, comes into play and 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 it's off, off like a rocket. I think Paul Tudor Jones really uh, 
quantified the risk reward ratio. One of his quotes, he actually says, you know, he can he can have a five for one, uh, one for five risk to reward ratio and only be right 20 percent of the time and still be profitable. And, uh, you know, he, he said he could be an idiot and still make money. And Paul Tudor Jones, one of the greatest traders of our generation. I don't think he's had a losing year in 20 something years, which is unheard of. But so if you had a five, if you had a one to five risk reward ratio, so if you lost 100 bucks, lost 100 bucks, lost 100 bucks, lost 100 bucks and made 500 on your fifth trade, you've lost 400, made 500 and you're still up 100. Mm-hmm. On a, uh, with a with a 20% win rate with a 5 to 1 risk reward ratio. Yeah, and that makes so much sense. Uh and and uh, uh, this is the kind of stuff I wish I'd known sooner. You know, um instead of the the buying something and hold hold, hold and hope or whatever they call it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh whereas there there's no there's there's no mathematical quantitative approach to say, "Hey, uh you know, thing, things are going your way." when you're staring at the face of uh, of several losers there. So yeah, really, really interesting and very useful to me uh, as I'm reading through this and certainly would be useful to to all the audience members there. Yes, the principles are really powerful. It's the principles to create something you are psychologically comfortable with doing, whatever that may be in whatever market and whatever time frame. Really, it's the principles that are powerful. Um, most people who didn't have the patience to sit and have a 10-day, 50-day crossover and hold it for a few weeks like I do, that could be frustrating for some people. And other people might you know, have an end-of-month signal. People love the spy into 200 day end of month if it's above it you go you stay long if it's below it you you go back to cash you know some people that you know used to be buying holders think that's a really active trading system so you have to have something that fits your own belief system and you believe in you have faith in that you can do whatever you can actually execute is what really matters yeah and you just you just mentioned one of the questions i had was this end of month signal this is the first time i've heard of that now to me i'm thinking okay i've got a basically a three Three percent of my month uh, would be devoted to potentially making a trade or not making a trade. Essentially, either stay in or get out. But you're only looking at it one day a month. Um, and surprisingly, that did well. Like I that that was the biggest shock to me is that you could look on just the end of the month day to determine in or out. Um, the, but the result the, on that was really good. I think the power of that is, you know, if you're in a bull market, you're not doing anything. Just let the bull market run. And we've had uh, this is, and these and all the data is from the entire 21st century. This is all from January, whatever the first day of trading was, January 3rd of 2000, all the way until the book was published. This is 21st century trading with all the high frequency traders and the Internet and the and the cheap brokers and all the stuff people complain about. These back tests were done 21st century. So people can't say this is stuff that, you know, doesn't work now. So uh, it's but like you said, it's the bull market. That's where you make the money. If you just bought Amazon and you and you you bought Amazon and you traded it with moving averages, you made a killing. I mean, if you bought the the spy, used some leverage and held it uh, for uptrends, you're making a lot of money. You don't have to go down. You don't need 20 screens and uh, uh, you know check watch every tick and spend nine hours in front of the screens every day to make money in the stock market. That's not what the vast majority of the millionaires and billionaires did to make their money. Here on the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, we give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I think the smartest thing you could do is open a new brokerage account with Tastyworks. Tastyworks is a brokerage platform that I use and I recommend. The commission structure is absolutely unbeatable at $1 per leg total. Now, if you sign up for a free Tastyworks account using the code 10MINUTE, that's 10MINUTE, I'll give you $150 in free 10-minute trader exclusive bonuses from 10MinuteStockTrader.com just for opening a free account at Tastyworks. 
Remember to use the code 10MINUTE, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, when signing up for your new Tastyworks account today. Right, right. And, and, and to make it as like simple as possible, Steve has the, uh, the SPY 200-day simple moving average end of month price crossover. Okay, so here it is, right? The, the market, 200-day end of the month. Okay, that's it. That's the only three things you need to know. So whenever you're looking at your trends there, is this something that you're doing manually or, or do you have an alert set up that, uh, you know, maybe on your platform that says, you know, it flashes out and says, hey, Mark, this is now hit your, your trend criteria. This is now something you might be, want to be looking at. Is that, is that how do you do that? Well, that's just the very initial criteria. That's what I call a qualifier. So in order to to qualify as something that I'm going to buy generally, it has to be in an uptrend. There are a few caveats to that, but generally speaking, you're going to be in, a, in what I call a stage two uptrend. As a matter of fact, uh, for those of you who are subscribed to MarketSmith, you might know this already, and maybe you don't. Um, and for those of you that have not subscribed to MarketSmith, you probably should because it's a it's a great place uh, not only to get all this information with regard to uh, you know fundamentals, earnings, sales, uh, your relative strength, all that, but they've added my trend templates in there. So you can actually screen based on my trend templates and use it as your qualifier. And then you can build screens on top of that trend template. So you use my trend template as your qualifier and you won't see stocks that are in downtrends. You'll only see the stocks that are in uptrends that you should be putting your eye on. Wow, that is too cool. I'm gonna have to go check that out right away. Thanks for sharing yeah, that. Yeah, Mark. Was, yeah, no it's, yeah. It's really, it is really cool. They've done it this, this last year or so, and uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty neat uh, tool there. Well, I definitely recommend uh, for everybody out there to go check out MarketSmith. Then, so the next question I had for you, Mark, was I I actually had volume completely turned off on my charts. Like I I never even looked at it, not even once, because okay. to me I didn't I never realized it mattered. But, you know, in this book here, you really talk about how that's a telltale sign of institutions that are getting in and helping drive these tens of thousands of percent change. Um, when you're looking at it, is it your objective to try and, you know, emulate the institutions? You see these big volume spikes. At least this is what I, I was getting across here is that you're seeing these big volume spikes. You're seeing the, the stage two trends to you. That's a clear indicator that there's institutions buying this and they're moving in with big size and big, big money. And is that, is that your goal is to try and emulate the big institutions as, as uh, closely as you can? Okay. So you have two questions. One's on, on volume and the other one is on whether emulating institutions. So let's start with volume. Volume is the next most important thing next to price and price should always be looked at with volume. Um, so that's going to tell you pretty much the acceleration or the power behind the price. So that's extremely important. Price and volume is you know, highly, highly weighted in the work that I do. Um, and then, of course, the objective is as a smaller investor, I mean, even if you were you had a 20 million or a 50 million dollar account, which would be a very big individual investor, of course, you're not. A big investor, relatively speaking, on Wall Street compared to the institutions, you know, the hedge funds and the mutual funds and the pension funds that move, really move stocks and move the market. So 
think of it as you're a speedboat and these other institutions are like cruise ships where you could just whip around very quickly and you could turn your boat around on a dime and they have to make these big turns. It takes a long time. So the key is, is to take advantage and of the institutions. If you know what the institutions are looking for, you could get in there and take advantage of their big volume coming in and moving the price. And that's the whole idea is to, and that, that's where, you know, when, just to give you a quick history, when I first went on wall street and I first made my uh, name with uh, the U S investing championship. And I, I made, I made uh, all those returns that everybody heard about. And of course, stock market wizard, I was a pro to the pros. I, I advised people like, you know, George Soros's Soros management, um, some of the biggest hedge funds in the world, uh, mutual funds, and you couldn't even get my research unless you were an institution. No, no individuals could get my research. That was my career on Wall Street. And then I retired. When I came and wrote this book, McGraw-Hill came to me and asked me to write a book. I decided to enlighten the individual so they know the things that I w would tell the institutions and also to know how to get in there and to move quickly and take advantage of their uh, first mover advantage, or if you will, their uh, their speed and agility uh, to be able to take advantage of those institutions. And that's you know how this whole thing transpired uh, with the book. Wow, that's incredible! I that makes this this book here. Uh, I think it was around twenty dollars. Potentially the the biggest bargain in human history. <laughs> well, there, there's a lot of books that are incredible, unbelievable bargains. Most books that are written by successful people that tell either their life story or their their methods are worth far more than the price that you pay for that. Whether it's thirty dollars, a hundred dollars, you know, books are relatively cheap for what you're getting. I, I have right now sitting in my office. I have about 4,000 books behind me in my library. I, I, I am a bookaholic, so, mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons why I write books is because books have been so pivotal in my, my life. There was one article we saw where somebody was saying, hey, you know, can I, I was going to buy this stock, right? Can I return it if I don't like it, if it doesn't do what I want it to do? <laughs> I think I saw and, that too. Yeah. And, and, you know, these are the things that we're kind of like, uh, we've, who, those of us who've been in for a long time have been like, wow, you know, this is not, this is not a simple thing. We want to make sure that people know what's going on. Because when I started, I definitely lost money. I lost a lot of money and I even lost money because I pushed the wrong button. And so mm -hmm. I tell people when you first get into this, don't use real cash because your psychology is tied to that cash and you're going to have a real issue when it starts fluctuating. So make sure you kind of figure out what you're doing before you add cash to it because then also you need to make sure that you know your trading platform because you'll press the wrong button just like I did when I was starting and you might lose a few thousand. Dude, I just I did that last week. I'm not joking. <laughs> I I was uh, I was on vacation and on my iPad and I'm I'm trying to put in some some trailing stop orders. And rather than like a, uh, let's say, let's say something's trading at 200, I was trying to put it in at like 195, you know, trailing stop order. And, and I put it in a market order and like instantly filled. And I'm like, ah, this is not what I wanted to do. Yeah. I, was, I was pretty irritated about that. 
but well, yeah, it, that's I mean, the, it happens. The problem with the, 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 the tablets and touchscreens, you know, sometimes might, you might bump the screen somewhere or you got a lot of options. You don't know what you're trying to fill in here. You got to make sure you know your trading platform because I tell you, if you guys are trading options and you're going to be doing straddles or strangles or, you know, call debit spreads and all these kind of fancy things, you need to make sure you know what that looks like on your trading platform and how to get out of them. That's the biggest thing is, well, if it starts to go against you and something's wrong, how do you get out of it? What do you need to do? And that's where it comes that you need to make sure you understand your platform. Oh, without a doubt. And, and you know, there, there's so many, so many variables when you come to options, right? It's, uh, it's, it can be awesome, but it can also be uh, horrible <laughs> at the same time. And you are, you're a, you're a stock guy. So why do you stick with stock over options? For exactly that reason. I yeah. <laughs> just don't want to deal with the complexity of options. I know that there are a lot of beautiful things about it. Of course, the leverage is great when it works your way, but then the leverage is also pretty bad when it doesn't. And I don't know, I've just never had a good time with the extra moving parts and components. And really, when I started learning how to trade the market, I just said, look, if I can just understand how price is going to move, how to read the charts, where it's going to go, then, you know, later I can trade options. I can do whatever I need to do then. But I'm just going to stick with the simple and the linear. For me, that's the big deal, that it's linear. The, the dollars move like $1 up, $1 down. I don't have to worry about theta. I don't have to worry about implied volatility. I don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. Stuff. And so it just makes it a whole lot easier for me to say, hey, one tick up, one dollar up. And I just go with that. Now, that being said, I have a lot of people who follow me who trade options and they're very sophisticated and they're smart. They know how to trade. They know how to trade options. But what they want to do, because they maybe have a full time job or you know, maybe they haven't had all the years of experience that I had, they want me to do the legwork of scouring the market because that's what I love to do and actually bringing these good trades to them, good setups and say, hey, this is the setup that I see based on my Moxie method. And you can go take it and you can go apply any kind of fancy trade you want to it know it uh, with the idea that this is going to happen this direction and what i believe it's going to do mm, that makes sense so so when people want to learn uh about more about the the 100k a day trade 100k in one day trade uh then go to the webinar so tell me everything that's in the webinar that you cover on this yeah, so simplertrading.com slash single for the $100,000 in a single day. You guys go check it out there. We got a replay. I'm going to be doing another one coming up next week. And then I've got a big class that I have teaching about everything that has changed in this market. That's going to be on August 8th. So be sure to sign up and check that out. You know, I have my method. I've been using this method for years. I have a big following with it. I think it really resonates with people because I'm more of an engineer. I kind of think, you know, nuts and bolts, black and white. And that's how I've kind of dissected the market along with the Moxie indicator and my Moxie method. But this market has now changed since the COVID crash, since the Fed is pumping in billions and trillions of dollars. And since the stimulus money is making its way into the stock market through individual people, through individual traders and all these new traders, we also have zero commissions. So you got to think about, we have all these, you know, it doesn't cost any money to trade anymore. And so it doesn't, you know, people can come in and out of the market willy nilly and not have to worry about any cost. So we get some kind of weird different uh, vibes going on in the market. And then we have all this QE stimulus and it just has put a different behavior in the market and the market is also much quicker now. I mm -hmm. used to love the daily and hourly chart. Now I'm having to step down to lower time frames and these are the things that I want to be able to show people say, hey, you know, even me as a professional who've been doing this for a long time, I suddenly had to look at this new market and say, 
wow, what is going on and what do I need to do to capture this stuff? And so it took me a little bit of kind of figuring out, I had to write down some new rules and kind of adjust what I was doing, but I got on top of it quickly. I adapted and it's, it's now turned out to be one of the best seasons I've ever had. Well, there you go. That That's a, a smart way to play it, TG, just being being flexible with the market because, I mean, what, what may work today may not work tomorrow and, and being smart enough to identify that is, is really key, right? You're not going to be left behind when, uh, man, what was, I was talking to Jack last week and he had such a great point. He was saying, you know, the, the new safety trade is no longer uh, bonds or, well, it seems like gold at the moment, but no longer gold or bonds, but it's Netflix and Apple and Amazon, right? And I was like, you know, I think you've got a really good point there because like, like as a millennial, people don't care about bonds. People don't care about gold or shiny coins, things like that, but they do love using their Netflix. And I know my wife has already ordered eight things on Amazon today. So it seems like those could be the new safety trades. And and I I did like the the idea of that. It made a lot of sense to me. And then I think about my father-in-law. He uh, he was a gold bug. Oh my gosh, he was a gold bug. Uh, he he was all about. I'm not going to invest in a bank. I'm not going to do 401k. He was all about gold coins. So he uh, he he was the opposite of that. So it's I. You know, like I say, it, it's the difference between your your grandfather's methodology and you know the new school uh, Robinhood traders. I guess you could say that. And I don't mean right. that in a derogatory term. It's yeah. just think about think about it. what uh, you like. Our parents and our grandparents were dealing with. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have tech companies. What they knew were bonds, and they had gold. And we used to be on the gold standard, and we used to have you know hard cash related to gold. And everything has kind of changed. So our generation doesn't really think about bonds. Do you think parents or grandparents still give saving bonds to their no. to their kids? I mean, I got one when I was a kid, but you know, I'm a little bit on the higher end of the millennial spectrum. And then you think about well, gold. I mean, they don't they don't know anything about gold necessarily. Does that really resonate? Um, you know, maybe right now we did take the gold trade, but they know Netflix. They 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 use these things. They're companies they're familiar with. It's like back when Coca Cola was the company you go invested in. It's back when GE was the company you invested in because those are the companies that you know, you loved, and you used. Nowadays, everybody knows Amazon and Netflix and Apple, and they love them and they use them. So. That's kind of the new currency for this new generation. Now, has natural gas been depressed like oil has been lately, or is it just moving its own way? It has been. It's depressed. It's at uh, maybe even all-time lows, to be honest. I oh, mean, wow. I think it might have just came off them. You really never hear about it. But... Uh, it's terrible. It's been under pressure for years. It just keeps going lower and lower and lower. And um, I mean, it's at a point now where it looks like it's ready for a really significant move. We got two of these moves last year. Both of them are about 40% to the upside. Exact same basing formation pattern form, which is why I'm excited. I mean, this is round mm-hmm. three on it. So um, it's got a lot of upside. It's way overdone to the downside. I mean, it's just an ultimate bear market. And uh, on a on a swing trading standpoint, on a day daily chart, I mean, this is the first real good setup in months and months and months, and it's just been going lower and lower. So this could so, have a lot of power. So you're not going to sell any naked calls on that, are you? Like uh, no. that, that fund that blew out <laughs> last year, man. I, no. I watched a video of him apologizing, and I'm like, oh wow, how could you? Ugh. 
Yeah, that, yeah. that scares me. Like when I trade options, I, everything's a spread. I, I never trade naked just because that's that's my personality. Like we were talking about earlier, finding trades that fit your personality. And you know, when 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 you have that unlimited risk, it's just yeah. like there's it, it, there is no good reason to do that. When you could see, like you were talking about there, potentially uh, a huge spike in volatility coming. And then yeah, yeah, oof. So so now with. Uh, natural gas looking at a uh, couple handle in fact you were when you were describing that i don't know if the, the audience was really paying attention um i definitely recommend re-listening to this podcast because what, what chris was quoting there it, it was almost like he's taken a textbook on how to trade like maybe bill o'neill's how to make money in stocks or or something like that and he's like this is how you do it you look for the cup with handles you look for uh volatility contraction patterns as mark minervini would describe it and then you get the uh, the bump to the upside, and then it goes from there. So, yeah, I was uh, I was I was really digging that right there because I, I definitely knew exactly what you were talking about. So um, now with oil, I heard that it's better than free at this point. Is that uh, is that still the case? <laughs> I know it's 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 confusing. I mean, oil isn't isn't worthless. It's less than worthless. I mean, yeah. it's, it was just crazy what we saw in the market, and it really blew my mind. I mean. I, I was watching it. Oil hit $11 a barrel on my continuous contract chart, and it hit, it hit our target. We were expecting it to hit that level uh, this week. And then so I started doing a video, a screen share for my, my clients, and I'm sending it out. I'm like, you guys got to see this. It's hitting our target. It's in free fall mode. We just have to let it wash out. And, you know, this is a major multi-year low. And and then I see it. I send it all out to the, the members, and then I watch. I look back at the chart. I'm like, what the heck? It's at three dollars. It's at one dollar. It's at sixteen cents. And then it goes negative. And I'm like, I I don't know if my data is right. So like I panicked and I wrote everybody back. I'm like, ignore the video, that analysis. I don't know what oil's doing anymore. I think my data is off. <laughs> so step back. We never traded it. It was never a trade. It was just, you got to look at this price action type of thing. I don't want to trade anything doing this type of thing. Right. But I mean, I had to retract everything because I I've never, I didn't even know futures could go negative. I think a lot of people didn't know that. And I still don't really know what it means for it to expire minus 36 or 37. Does that mean if you just take a thousand barrels off somebody, they're going to pay you thirty-seven thousand dollars because it's or or whatever that is or thirty. I mean, I don't get it. So when this was the learning lesson for uh, members this week was when you don't know what the heck's going on, you got to just step back. Yes, you don't want to be involved. And you've got to just <laughs> like you know step away from it because my natural instinct was I call up my friend, I go, oh my gosh, what do we do? How do we make money on this? And We've both been trading. He's been trading for 35 years. I'm 25 years. We're looking around. We're like, we don't know really what's happening. There is no safe way to trade it because the USO and the oil ETFs have a problem with contango just like natural gas. So getting into those is actually really deadly because even if oil goes up the next day, these ETFs can actually go down. And that's what happened. I told members, I said, don't touch an oil ETF. Everyone is piling in today. I can see it. Don't trade it because tomorrow it could open down like 50 or 90 percent, even if oil doesn't go higher or rallies. And it did like USO spiked down 40 percent the next day, even though crude was up 20 percent. And it's just that's how deadly trading commodities are with ETFs can be. And you, I mean, my natural instinct was, how do we make money on mm -hmm. this? Yeah. And when two of us couldn't figure it out, we're like, 
holy crap, we better tell members like we don't even know how to do it. So don't even touch it, guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you any more than that. I mean, my first thought was um, I don't even know what I was doing. I just I happened to have my phone open and and it was on Twitter and it was like oil is about to go to negative. And I was like, what? And so I keep scrolling and I'm like, oil's negative three, oil's negative six, oil's negative 30. It's like, what? How yeah. is this possible? Yeah. So yeah, what what interesting times do we live in? Like my wife could not care less about financial markets. And I was like, you will not believe what happened today. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Usually people always call me when something happens. And when crude oil broke zero, actually when it hit 11, I started calling people. When it broke zero, I'm calling even more people going like, what is going on here? Like what data do you have? And I mean, it was, it's so weird. Like usually I don't have to call anyone to get insight on the markets, but when I'm calling people, you know, there's a problem. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's like, holy geez. Well, Chris, this has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed this. And and like I said earlier, I do hope the audience goes back and listens to the wisdom that Chris has here. Um, I mean, within like a 20 minute conversation, he dropped some major knowledge bombs on you. So I have really appreciated that, Chris. Thank you so much for, for going into all the, the detail. This has been a very great conversation. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I love I love technical analysis. I mean, uh, I, I just I'm a visual guy. And, you know, I've read all the the Bibles, like the John Murphy technical analysis and uh, all those, you know, 1500 page books. So I, I know all I know all that stuff. And it's amazing because you see it happen on the charts on every time frame could be the one minute chart, could be the weekly chart or monthly. And the, the patterns just unfold. And, and once you understand the intermarket analysis, when something's doing something out of the norm, uh, you can usually find an opportunity, what it means, and find a pattern somewhere to trade it. And I mean, technical analysis is great. You don't have to rely on news or earnings and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, yeah if, if you want some good technical analysis on something, I mean, I, I love to talk it because it's just Perfect. always interesting. And Yeah. I've written a short guide on how you can use the triple stock profit system. It's the secret weapon every investor needs right now to change your financial future. And you can get it for free by visiting triplestockprofits.com or in the links below. Also, if you want to join a community of traders just like you, you can get free access to the Elite Membership that has even more resources to help you trade faster and trade smarter. Hey, if you like this video, let me know by leaving me a like below and then subscribe and share it with somebody you think could use it as well. Be sure to comment below with your biggest takeaway from this episode and any suggestions you have for future episodes. And finally, make sure you watch these other videos to help you trade faster and trade smarter, and I'll see you on the next episode. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. Tim and StockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. Tim and StockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit 10 legal. And thanks for stopping by.